Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simple Cove. Hey, fellas. Hey, Sean. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hello. Hey, Guy. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we're simply asking for a small donation to cover you cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. We'd like to say thank you to our new, newest patron, Beck Hodgson. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around towards the end of the show where we'll briefly talk about what each of us have going on in our own shop. So let's get right to it. Guy, what is your first question? All right. Uh, this is from Bart, and he asks, first he's had a statement to make. He says, thank you for the time you invest in this excellent podcast. Well, you're welcome, Bart. I have a question about drawers. I'd like to invite you to tackle this subject quite broadly. Uh, we'll, we'll do what we can. What is the type of drawer you usually install in fine furniture and in woodshop workshop furniture? And can you give tips on how to fit them correctly? What is your favorite drawer construction method? I'm asking this question in this way because in the past year I made and installed two different cabinets, including drawers. One of these builds I use a simple, uh, I used a gripless push to open type mechanism. I'm pleased with it, although it was a bit of work to get the fronts lining up correctly. Since this build, I realize this sort of work can be rather tricky, and now I would like to hear your take on it. Thanks, Bart. Well, it's basically three questions there. So I'm going to tackle the first one. It says, can you give tips on how to fit them correctly? Yes. Make them the size that fits in the drawer opening. I think you want to take good. the second second part of that question, please? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. I, I am gonna expound on that a little bit more. Man, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> no, yeah. So, in fine furniture, typically you're not going to use any type of mechanical drawer slides. You're, they're going to be a, a, a fit drawer. Yeah. So the the, the drawer is going to ride on wooden runners, uh, typically in the in the frame underneath or in frames around the side. So. What I typically do, I'm in that situation, I'm making inset drawers where the, the, the drawer face is flush with the blades in front and there's a gap all the way around, is I make that drawer box to fit in that hole pretty much exactly. Yep. And then what I'll do is I'll take either a hand plane or a belt sander mm. and take the sides down as much as I need to. And I actually want to take off more in the back than in the front. Good point. But it's not like a quarter of an inch. It may be like a 32nd of an inch more in the back. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really looking for is about a 16th of an inch gap, give or take. Maybe a mm -hmm. little bit fatter than that, but definitely not an eighth of an inch, not in fine furniture. Mm -hmm. And when I get done with that, then I'll take the drawer front and I'll just tackle the drawer front with a block plane usually mm -hmm. and fit that gap around the, the, the hole. So the, the, the drawer box itself is still sitting on the wooden frame, but you may have more of a, of a recess for the, 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 the front of the drawer might be smaller than the drawer box, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that? How do you do it, Wee? Yeah, so uh, I'll I'll cut my drawers, particularly the drawer front, uh, to the exact size of the opening. And just like you said, you know, you're just taking down the sides slowly but surely to get that fit where um, you get a nice fit, and not a friction fit because you don't want it to stick um, yeah. for sure. But but yeah, it's about a sixteenth of an inch, I would say, give or take. Um, usually not more than that. I've never done the taking more in the back. That's very good tip. I think I'll actually do that. Uh, that's that's a very good tip. So taking off a little bit more in the back so that it actually gets into that opening a little bit easier. That's a great tip. Uh, I've never well, tried. What, what some people do is I'll cut the back a little bit shorter. Shorter, yeah. Yep. 
<clears throat> that makes sense. And uh, I've never tried the belt sander thing, uh, belt sander to fit the drawers, but that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense and be relatively fast. I believe, I know, Guy, I know you do it, but I also believe that um, Christian Bexford does it that way as well. Is that right? Am I right about that? I might be wrong. I, I have no idea. Another good way to do it if you have one is a, as an edge sander. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just put that yeah. on there and... Yeah. For the smaller shop, I think probably most most of us are going to have a belt sander that's probably you know a little bit more yeah. accessible. The, but, the but thing with the belt sander is it's um, it's get a, away from you. It's a finicky little tool. Yeah, you really got to have some good practice. But you know, back when I was young, um, <laughs> there was you know belt sanders were used very widely. So I have a lot of experience using one. Mm. And if you don't have a lot of experience with it, it can. It can hog away a lot of material pretty quick. Yeah, Sean, what? Touch. How do how do you do that usually? If I'm making a drawer, it's either inset or overlay. I guess. I guess is that what they call the? the yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard them called you know the doors that, but I guess I never thought about drawers that way. But mm-hmm. either way, um, when I'm building the box, I'll cut the individual pieces uh, and fit them to the opening. And it's real easy if you think that you're going to leave a, an eighth of an inch gap on the sides. In other words, make them a little narrower than, than the opening. It, 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 turns a, it turns into a drawer that when you start to pull it out, it's going to rock forward. So that's something that I've learned and still have to tell myself, you know, make it pretty tight, hit it with a hand plane and get it close, but don't take off too much on the width of the side panels or on the, on the, on the box, uh, drawer box pieces, because it'll, mm-hmm. it'll turn into a, a, a drawer that flops. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and putting them in, and that, that's also including the front and the back on the, uh, on the drawer box, I guess the back, uh, is, you know, put it in there side by side with the sides, get a good fit. And then when everything feels good, uh, I will assemble the box, um, and then put it in there and see how it feels and then take a hand plane on the sides. Typically a couple swipes is all it takes, but it's, you know, drawers are tough. I'm just going to go back. It, it's for me, I still struggle on making the perfect drawer because if you got to build the webbing on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, you got to make sure that stuff's square. You got to make sure that it's yeah. level and, and, and all that stuff. Because if the, the place where the box is going is, is off you're going to have to tweak the box to make it a, a smooth, a smooth drawer. So it's not only building the box correctly, but you've got to build out the framing of the, of, of the table of where it's going and make sure that stuff is lined up just perfectly in there because you can make the best box and then stuff's not square on the inside and it's going to right. rub it and it's going to, you know, bind up. So it's, it's really more than just building the box. You've got to also look at that as well when you're assembling yeah. the case. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Sean, have you uh, have you ever constructed your webbing uh, to a carcass or or to a cabinet box uh, using the domino at all? Uh, don't think so. No. So so I've been doing that, and it makes it a whole. What, what have you been doing? No, just use it like using the domino to cr- construct the webbing, and then also to uh, attach the webbing to you know the carcass sides and whatnot. Oh, okay. And um, just the domino itself just makes it a whole heck of a lot easier i not i know and not everybody has a domino but i'm just saying that well do explain is is it because you're able to make it you know make the slot wider and line it up easier or is it the yeah. precision of the domino that helps or what is it the precision of the domino but also the, the flexibility of having those oversized uh tendons on the on the carcass side gotcha um so just a little bit a, a width it gives you a lateral movement but not vertical movement in terms of mm-hmm. where you're constructing the web I, I don't sorry i'm not i hope that our listeners are able to visualize that but yeah the doing so with the domino has just made it a whole heck of a lot easier for me um again i know not everybody has one and it's an expensive tool but man that helps very much so in constructing the webbing it, it's been able to you know I'm, I'm able to get it right on in terms of what size i want that opening to be yep all right <clears throat> well, real quick, we'll go around the room here. What is your favorite drawer construction method? Mine is dominoes. I use dominoes. Mm. That's my favorite. Hui? Mm. I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily, necessarily my favorite. It's just what I've done because I kind of wanted that look. It's been dovetails. So I, I really hadn't made them any other way. Oh, well, no. Shop furniture? 
No, just any, I mean, it's just a straight question. What's your favorite drawer construction method? I'll, I'll say dovetails because I like the look. You know, right. I just Sean? like the look. I like dovetails, but man, there's just yeah. too much work. If I'm doing a fine piece, a fine, what I consider fine piece, maybe. Um, like the book, the little Bobinga cabinet that I made, you know, I made dovetails, inlaid, dove, or not half blind dovetails, not inlaid. Um, yeah. But I, I like the domino idea. Um, and the mm-hmm. pinned, um, the pinned rabbits or whatever mm. they're called. Mm-hmm. I like that as well. That looks I, good. I do really need to start utilizing the domino more. And I know we don't want to turn this into a show about the domino, but yeah, I do like the, um, I, I like that answer guy. Do you, do you do the through domino thing? Oh, guy, or? no, those, that just looks awful. Oh. Um, <laughs> no, you just do a, just no, do it. Most my, most of my drawers, even in large pieces, are typically a half inch or five eighths. Yeah. So I'm using four millimeter dominoes. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it really easy to use them. I just yeah. zip, 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 and they're strong as all get out, and they're invisible. So And they're easy, less prone to cutting them the wrong size because you don't have to say, okay, it needs to be this plus the rabbit plus this. It's okay. It's yeah. the opening minus this thickness, minus this thickness, cut it. Now, have you used the biscuit joiner for drawer construction? Guy? Yes. Okay. Do you find that there's a difference in terms of strength or ease of use? No, or anything? not really. Yeah. About uh, equal? About equal. The, yeah. the, the, the biscuit, you've got to have a drawer height of, you know, at least about four inches to use a biscuit. Sure. Makes sense. Um, yeah. And even then, you know, yeah, I've, I've used biscuits quite a few times, but since I got the domino, I've been doing the domino. I think it's a little, little stronger. Yeah. Yep. So, I agree. All right. Who's got the next question? I believe I, that I, I do. Yep. It's you, Sean. All right. Which one do I want to take first? I'm Gorn from Nomad Makes on YouTube and Instagram. <laughs> I'm currently on my third binge listen of the podcast and enjoy it immensely. Wow. Mm. That's, that's, that's dedication. Yeah. (laughs) I recently watched Sean's video on making the William and Mary high boy and noticed him using a carbide tip turning tools or tools when turning rather. I know guy, he has said that he's not a very proficient turner and Sean also asked the viewers to go easy in the video. However, you guys turn very well for being not proficient and only turning occasionally which is why I thought you would be perfect for answering this question as I really don't turn that often either, excluding a Tormac style grinder. Since I don't have the space, my shop is 132 square feet and I have crammed in a proper cabinet saw in that space. I'm considering learning to sharpen the turning tools, gouges and all by hand or getting some with replaceable carbide tips. What do you think would be the pros and cons? Note that I already own a normal, not carbide roughing gouge and five more turning doohickeys. Thanks for keep up the great work. Cheers from Norway. Hmm. This this is a good question. You know, I I haven't turned in probably a year or so, a year and a half mm-hmm. too. I'm mm-hmm. just I don't I don't turn that often. But when I first got started, um, I wanted to. I think this was the probably the first project that I did and uh, never completed. But it, it was intimidating. It's you know you got to get the the proper. Uh, gouges and, and turning tools. You got to get a way to, to sharpen those. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I went the route of buying the, at the time was actually, you know, it was a pretty decent set if you sharpen it, but I bought the Harbor Freight kit, uh, mm-hmm. turning tools. And then I bought the Rikon slow speed grinder, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and turned all of the gouges and I completely destroyed them. I got them too hot, burned them up. I was like, man, this is, I just want to turn, you know, just like, I just want to b- build projects. I don't want to make you know, shop furniture type, type deal. So I went and got mm-hmm. the carbide tipped, um, the, uh, the, from, I forgot the name of the company. Um, easy wood tools. Yes. Easy wood tools. Mm. And I got three of them, the one that's shaped like a diamond, the square, and then the round. Yeah. And with those three, I mean, I'm not a turner, so I don't turn bowls. I don't need special, you know, a special grind on a gouge for mm-hmm. specific things, but I can do pretty much anything that I need with those three. I mean, I was able to turn six or seven legs for a William and Mary high boy uh, and mm-hmm. plus the the feet with those three turning tools. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got the the really the tighter radius, uh, the round one. It's not the bigger one. It's a smaller one. And, you know, 
and they're easy to resharpen. You can just, and plus you can just turn and get a new edge. I'm a fan of those. Are, are the now the cons probably they're going to be, you know, to start out they're going to be a little more expensive than getting a cheaper set of a couple of gouges that you need. Um, you know, you you're probably not able to do everything that you need to, like you can with the skew or whatever. Um, but again, if you're not going to be turning full time and you just want to get in there and turn. I think the pros outweigh the cons on using the carbide tipped turning tools over, you know, getting a slow speed grinder and then you got to get the the jig. You don't have to be, you know, I bought the jig to hold it, it in the right angle. Yeah. Yeah. It really does help. And, but I'm a fan of the carbide tip turning tools for a majority of, of everything that I've ever turned. I've not needed to go back and, and get anything else with, from those three. Um, now do you guys, when you turn, do you have the carbide tip tools or do you, have traditional gouges and and skews and all that stuff. I'll go ahead and let Guy answer that. Right now, I have nothing. I oh, sold, you sold my, your, I you sold sold my lathe and all oh. my tools. Oh, All my okay. lathe tools. What did you have? I had a grizzly lathe. It was all right. I just never used it. Yeah, took up a lot um, of space. I needed room for my CNC. That's why I got rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had... Just regular high speed steel for years. And then I got, you know, a set of the easy wood tools, carbide tip ones. The benefit to the carbide tip ones is obviously you, you really don't have to sharpen them as much mm-hmm. um, or at all. You just replace the carbide tip. Mm-hmm. The downside to this, you're not really turning or shearing off the wood the same way you would with a a conventional lathe tool, you're actually scraping it. Mm -hmm. You're going in at a 90 degree angle and you're just pushing it into the wood and you're scraping it. It leaves a fairly rough, I'm not going to say a rough surface, but definitely rougher than some people can get with the, with the skew. Yeah. Yeah. I know guys that can take a skew and shine the thing. It barely needs sanding. Mm, yeah. uh, you're going to be doing a lot more sanding with the carbide. Mm-hmm. So that was the only real difference. I, I was never that good where I, I could do without sanding. But what I'm saying is, is that the, the, it's definitely it leaves a rougher finish. Mm-hmm. And But they are easier to use. Don't require sharpening. Sharpening lathe tools just like sharp sharpening chisels. It's a there's an art to it, and you got to do it right. Uh, if you're not an accomplished turner and it's not something you really want to tackle and be an expert at, mm-hmm. I, I'd probably recommend the the tools with the carbide replacement tips. Yeah, and they're easy to sharpen. You take them off, flip them upside down, and put them on your stone. Yep. Yeah. Just put them on flat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I have one carbide tip tool, and that's uh, the Robert Sorby, I think, Robert Sorby? I can't remember. <clears throat> but it's it's one where you can change the head on it, so you can actually put a diamond, a circle, or a square, and I have all three diamond, circle, square on there. Um, it, it, would it be better if I had three separate, like, easy wood tools? Absolutely. That way I wouldn't have to switch out those. Another, another advantage, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but mm-hmm. one of the biggest advantages of those easy wood tools versus mm-hmm. the Sorby ones mm-hmm. is the bars on them are square. Yes. So you Good can, the, the, when you, when you put those in, you mm-hmm. have to be, you know, 90 degrees to the wood in both planes. Yeah. And that square bar on it helps keep it flat. Good point. Yeah. So the Robert Sorby tool that I had actually came with the lathe when I bought it. I bought it used. And so that's why I was like, yeah, well, rather than spending more money on getting the easy wood tools, let me try this thing out. Um, And then the lathe itself also came with some conventional wood turning tools. So I kind of learned how to do both. Um, and in doing so, I did buy a slow speed grinder and I did buy the jig that held the, uh, conventional tools to the correct angle to get, you know, the different grinds on the conventional tools themselves. And, and you're absolutely right guy that, you know, using the conventional tools, you, you can get a better finish from just the tool as opposed to the carbide tools. 
I kind of took the route of, well, let me learn how to do it the harder way, the quote unquote proper way, right? And then, you know, if going down the road, I, I'll just use continue to use the carbide tools if if I feel that uh, that I've learned enough about using the um, the conventional tools. The truth is, is, I just use the conventional tools because I hate I hate changing out the uh, tip on the carbide tool. But the carbide tip tool is, is so much easier to use. It, it really doesn't. It's hardly any learning curve on it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I just don't do enough turning to invest in the individual easy wood tools. So I just use the gouges when I need the gouges and I'll use one of the different three um, cutter heads that uh, are is available with the Robert Sorby whenever I need it. Um, but usually there, there are really only two tools that I use, which is a roughing gouge, which came with, you know, the lathe and a spindle gouge. And I actually did buy a spindle gouge um, later on. It was like, I think on sale or something like that for 40 bucks. And I ended up just getting it. But, uh, but yeah, those are like the only two tools that I actually use on the lathe. That sounds terrible. Um, and I was one of those people that when I thought I was going to get into wood turning, I'd got, you know, a nice used lathe for a good price, but definitely more lathe than I need. And it just takes up so much space. And I've actually thought about either downsizing to a smaller lathe or just not having a lathe altogether. Yeah, I, just, I just got rid of mine. I just didn't have the room for it anymore. Yeah. I, I, I just told myself, you know, if I ever come across a project where I've got to have a lathe, I'll just, I'll just buy another one. I'll just buy a used one, smaller mm -hmm. one. Smaller one, yeah. The one I had had was like 56 inches between centers. It was a big lathe. Yeah. Yeah, I've got something like that. And I've actually thought about getting rid of my lathe and then just giving – the lathe tools that I have to my friend David, because he he's a very accomplished yeah. wood turner. And if I ever need to turn something, I just say, David, uh, can, can I come over? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so again, I thought about it because it's just so few times that I actually really need a lathe. So anyway, it, it, I, I think for Goron, it, it, I think he should get the easy wood tools if he's not doing it that often. Yeah. I yeah. I'm the type wrong. of person that just, I just want to, I just want to do it. And yeah. I feel like if, you know, if I was going to use traditional tools, I have to learn because unless you get, I don't even know if this is true, um, for turning tools, but you know, you've always got to sharpen no matter what you get. And it's just like, it's just information overload where I could just buy the, the uh, carbide tip tools and then just start turning yeah. mm -hmm. and get that going. Because I mean, I tried, I tried the, uh, the, uh, the skew, that I never, ever, 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 ever could figure that out. I mean, I tried and tr it would catch and slam, catch and slam, catch and slam. Mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. no, I'm done with this. Let me just get carbide tip tools. Yeah. You can still catch. One. You can still catch the carbide tools. Yeah, yeah but the problem is, is I didn't. <laughs> Every time <laughs> I would use a skew, I would. It would yeah. catch. It would catch. It would catch. Carbide mm -hmm. tips is a. I mean, it's just. Yeah. It, they're easy to use. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are a lot easier to use. They are a lot easier to use. So. They are easy to use. All right. So I think the next question comes to me, or at least my first question is to me. And it says, hey, Guy, Hui, and Sean. Hello. I, recent, <laughs> I recently hey. picked. Who's, hey. who's, who's asking? This is Joshua. I should have hey, Josh. It. Sorry about that. Hey, Josh. Uh, I recently picked up some <laughs> used hand tools. And by the way, this question has been on the books for a while. And I think <laughs> so we may not know the answer to this, but uh, you know what? We got to give it a try. He's He's been All patiently right. waiting. So I recently picked up some used hand tools while, while on vacation on the northern coast of Maine. I picked up a 24-inch handsaw, a Stanley 78 rabbit plane, and a sharpening stone in a custom-fit wooden box. Not as nice as Sean's star sharpening station. The two sides of the sharpening stone are labeled fine and coarse. How can I tell if they are oil stones or water stones? And if they are oil stones, what type of oil should I use? The stone looks to be mostly gray. That may just be from residual steel, but might have a brown or reddish hue on them. My guess is that that's probably the swarth. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Additional question, if they are oil stones and I use water, will that cause damage? Same question, if they are water stones and I use oil. Thank you for the best woodworking podcast. Well, that's very kind of you, Joshua. So uh, so I looked into this 
And I believe if you go, if you have an oil stone and you put water on it, you're not likely to cause damage. However, if you have a water stone and you put oil on it, that could be bad news because I don't think, I think the oil will create some form of impermeability to the water to the, on the water stone. I don't know. That's, you know, from me searching a form and getting a little bit of information from third party, right? So I don't know if that is technically true, but it kind of makes sense. You know, putting oil on a water stone, that could be a little bit different. You'll never get it out if it's incorrect. Okay, okay, okay. But if it's water on an oil stone, is that okay? It's just going to beat on top. Yeah. You'll know right away if it's an oil stone, you put water on it. It'll it'll beat up, right? I would think. I would think so too. Well, shoot, did we just answer the whole thing for him? <laughs> no, because I think he. Are they asking? How well, can maybe, I maybe tell? Maybe we did. <laughs> if they are oil yeah, stones or water stones. Oil stones, water stones. Yeah. Well, I imagine if you put a bead of water on an oil stone, I would go with water. Put water on it. If you got a bead of water and it beads up, it's probably oil stone. You Probably just wipe it off and you'd be fine. Just add oil. Oh, what kind of oil to use? I think three-in-one oil is a fine oil to use, right? I have no idea. I I'm have not a sharpening guru. I mean, I'm not. I have zero experience with with oil stones. I mean, I would. That's what I would try. But you know, <laughs> I, is there a special honing oil that you have to use for something like that? I don't believe so. When I growing up, my my uh, my adopted father had um, an Arkansas stone that he used mm-hmm. to sharpen his like little blade blade. And he always used three in one oil. That's what, what I always remember him using. Um, whether or not it's right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Cause I've actually never used an Arkansas. Well, the uh, oil stone I, I think is uh, are often called Arkansas stones. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm, so that's what he used as to whether or not that's correct. I don't know, but he used the same stone I think his whole life to, to, to sharpen this pocket knife that he had. So now they do I, sell honing oil that I would yeah. imagine that you could probably use, but I am I, sorry, Josh appreciate you listening, but I don't have any, any experience yeah, in with my, oil. My, my recommendation, Josh is buy some new stones and you'll know exactly what they are. Yeah, that's true. And they'll actually have grits on them instead of just fine and coarse. Coarse, yeah, yeah. Uh, I probably would too. I, I don't know if I would necessarily trust. I mean, you know, fine with the twenty-four inch handsaw and the Stanley seventy-eight rabbit plane sounds like you got a deal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd, I'd be a little bit wary about uh, what exactly that stone is. But yeah, I think you'll be able to find out pretty quick what it is by putting a bead of water on it. Yeah. Well, darn, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Joshua. Did we answer it faster than I expected? Uh, sorry about that. And we don't know if all the answers are correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's typical whenever I answer a question. Hey, he doesn't, really doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, well, I think we're uh, we're back to you, right. Guy. Now, I have no idea who this question comes from because it doesn't mm-hmm. have a name on it. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a good question. It says, hey, guys jig question for you when do you decide on whether to keep a shop made jig or pitch it in the trash Mm. i like saving jigs and i plan on using again but i'm starting to run out of wall space to hang them is there a category and or type of jig that, that you'll make over and over versus one where you'll try to make it once and keep for years I don't save any jigs and that's just because I have nowhere to store them. Yeah. To be brutally honest, I make jigs, most of the jigs I make, and I make a lot of jigs both at work and in my home shop. They're usually pretty rough, um, held together with Brad nails and typically, um, CA glue, or super mm-hmm. glue. Yeah. I use them once and I pull the pieces out. I try to save the the piece of MDF that I usually use to put it on there. Um, But that's about it. I mean, I throw my, and that's just a matter of space. Um, There's jigs I've made at work 
and I've thrown them out. And then a week later, I have to remake it. That happened to me once where I did it like three times in the space of a month. I was like, oh, I should have saved it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. Were these so, for two different projects? Um, what, at work? Yeah. There were different orders. Oh, okay. So it makes sense that you went to another order. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, um, Sean was nice enough to look up who sent this question, and it comes from Ben. So yeah, thanks, so, thank you, thank you for looking that up, Sean. Some of these questions are hard because you got to go digging. You click the message yeah. thing. You got to click their profile to see what their name is, because you know. So yeah, um, I, I I know that's not really an answer to your question, Ben. I I think you have to look at it like, what do you make a lot of? What do you have room to keep? Yeah. Uh, as a jig, I mean, the only jigs I really keep, I have a couple that I that I do keep. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is a is a tapering jig. Right on. Yep. For tapering legs, and I've got a couple three different circle cutting jigs that mm -hmm. I've used over the years. I have a um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I think that that that's. I'm right there with you. I mean, circle cutting jig. Yes. I have a, uh, a bandsaw dovetail angle guide jig that I made that mm -hmm. I kept. Um, if I spend a lot of time on a jig and I'm like, man, that's a nice looking jig. I'll hang on to it for a little bit and then I'll eventually <laughs> throw it away because you know, then you'll it right after you throw it away. Well, <laughs> most, most likely, but no, when I make a jig, it's, it's one off. I mean, I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a pretty sweet curve that I made by hand. Maybe I can use it on a, something else. And then I, it never comes or I'm just like, okay, let me just cut something on the CNC machine and use that as a template. Having mm -hmm. a CNC machine, I don't, I don't keep a lot of jigs cause I can just, you know, cut or something on there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you collect them electronically. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. I've got the, the, uh, the cut files, but yeah, that's, mm. uh, I don't keep any other than what I just mentioned, you know, circle cutting jig and that bandsaw dovetail jig and um yeah they're they're so specific to the task that i i won't ever use it again so i i when i made my chairs i had a whole bunch of jigs to cut out all the shapes yeah. and everything and and i did that and i made them quite robust and the reason was because i was making eight of them but then i got to the end after i made all eight of them and i was like Am I ever going to make these chairs ever again? Probably not. And I threw them all away. I, I must add like 20, 20 jigs. And I thought in some way, it's like, oh, I'm going to keep them. I'll make this chair again. Nope. Nope. Never made the chair again. Never made the chair again. Now, uh, I'm, I'm the same way as you guys. I, I do have a tapering jig. I've got a dado jig. So in other words, it's got a big block on it. I can yeah. make dados at different sizes and whatnot. Um, and I have an L fence. And that's pretty much it i when i moved from my old shop i looked and saw all the jigs and everything that were cluttering up my shop and i was like i can't believe i kept these and i just tossed them all out um and most of them are pretty easy to remake if i had to remake them yeah. and um it just they take up a lot of space uh, you know ben i i think if you plan on remaking a piece like really think about it and say okay am i going to make this piece again am i you know am i going to get orders for somebody you know am i, I going to have to batch this out then maybe keep it right like I, I can understand a tapering jig maybe a dado jig you know like the elephants that i have but like for all the different weird shapes and sizes that i had for that chair i'm never going to make that chair again yeah and but if really you're doing it commercially sense. it makes sense to keep that Absolutely. stuff as long as you can there is some like i have story sticks because mm -hmm. there's a couple of school systems that continually buy the same thing over and over and over again. Yep. And I have story sticks that I keep that are just like long pieces of plywood that are, you know, like an inch, inch wide. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got marked on them, you know, this is the school system and this is, you know, a credenza or a bookcase or whatever. Right. Just so I don't have to measure stuff over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably one of the best systems I saw for keeping parts and stuff. Um, there was a guy that he's still around. He's on Instagram a little bit here and there, but Matthew Morris. Um, mm. He used to do 
some uh, YouTube videos and stuff. And what he would do when he got done with the project is he would take all the, the jigs and anything that was unique to that project. He'd put it in a plastic bag, tie it up, and then put it in. He had a, a bunch of these, uh, those plastic storage bins, you know, you get like the, the Walmart or whatever that are sure. like seven or eight bucks. And he might be able to put two or three different projects in there. And he kept them in a, in a, uh, in his, uh, mini barn. Mm. And that's how he kept his jigs. Yeah. So it fill up fast ever, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, if you're, if you're doing it as a hobby, you may be doing, you know, let's say you've got your, your chair, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you put it in a box and you put it in the attic. Mm-hmm. You don't keep it in the shop. Mm-hmm. So it's just a thought. Yeah. Just a thought, you know, get, I guess I'm saying, get it out of the shop and put it somewhere where your wife is going to bitch about you putting it there <laughs> and now, just say, just, just look at her and say, get over it, honey. One thing that I did and even, <laughs> I don't even know how you segue from that. Um, but one thing that I did, even if you don't have a CNC machine, it's not a bad idea to create some form of an electronic template because it it's still stored digitally and maybe you get a friend or a buddy or somebody who has a cnc can cu- cut out that template for you again if you ever need to remake that chair and that was that was exactly what i did and why i got rid of all the jigs and then i got rid of all the jigs before i had a cnc machine my thought was well i've got it stored electronically worst comes to worst i'll just call my buddy sean and he'll make some templates for me you know and we just i'll just remake those jigs if i need to um, so even if you don't have a CNC machine, consider at least making an electronic copy of that template yeah. um, and having a vector file for you to be able to reproduce that template if you need So to. it sounds like all of us, none of us keep any of our jigs. No. no. Three. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, we, I, just to touch on that, even when I didn't have a CNC machine, when I would make my templates, mm-hmm. I would start from SketchUp. Mm-hmm. To print a PDF, take it out there, put it on plywood, mm-hmm. you know, tape it on there and cut it to size and all that stuff. So even if I, you know, don't yeah. have a CNC, I would still do it the old. And I even have a video on YouTube on how to make templates without a, a CNC machine. Yeah. Um, because I got a lot of flack for using the CNC machine to make templates. I don't know why. <laughs> templates, if you're if you're able to build furniture, you're going to be able to build templates. I don't know why you're complaining to me about it, but whatever. <laughs> so I made a video. Um, but yeah, I think that. Yeah, it's a good a good uh, a good thing to do is to have them digitally yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. yeah, Sean, you're next, buddy. All right, this is from Chris. Can we talk about chisels? I know I need to get sure. some in order to start inlaying, but I'm struggling to spot the differences other than price between chisels. I'm happy to sharpen my own before use. Bearing that in mind, what features should I look for? What do you each use? Why are some chisels so expensive? So I'm going to cover the difference between the chisels and why some are more expensive than others. Then I'll probably pass it to Hui and let him discuss perhaps what chisel he uses and perhaps what features one should look for. But I'm going to start with why are some cheap? Why are some expensive? Basically, there are a few reasons as you're going to, as why you're going to have chisels that are a couple of bucks at Harbor Freight or Aldi <laughs> up to $7,500 or even more for higher end chisels. And you've got to first start by looking at the quality of steel that the chisel is made out of. The lower the quality, the cheaper the product, obviously. Now, with chisels, from what I've gathered over the years, is that there's a sweet spot between steel that's too hard and steel that's too soft. Too hard, and it's going to take a whole lot longer to sharpen, and too soft, it's going to sharpen faster, but it's also going to lose its edge quicker. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a fine line that you want to take when you're when you're you know, purchasing a chisel and why some are cheaper than others. Quality of steel is a big part of it. The next reason for the pricing difference is the machining done to the chisel. Now, this is the fun part because the more machining that's done at the factory, the more expensive it is, the more expensive it is. Um, that also means less work that you have to do with the traditional bench chisel. Obviously, you want to flat back, and the cheaper chisels often come with backs that are nowhere near flat. So you're left spending 
a lot of time flattening those on stones or even going down to sandpaper and flattening those. You know, I, I bought a, a cheap four chisel kit from Aldi for like seven bucks <laughs> and I use them as, you know, paint can openers to all kinds yeah. of stuff. And I spent almost an hour one time trying to flatten the back of one of these cheap chisels and it, it wasn't fun. It didn't, <laughs> it, it, it came out terribly and they're still not flat. So <laughs> you got to think about the quality of the steel. How much of that work is the factor going to do for you as far as, you know, lapping the back of that chisel to get it flat. So there's two things that, that are going to make up that price difference. And then finally you got the overall fit and finish more expensive chisels will have nicer handles that are comfortable to use for long periods of time. And the cheaper ones like the Aldi ones that I have, uh, are rough to the touch and the shape isn't all that great. You know, this isn't as important as the, you know, the quality of the steel and the, the machining, but this, you know, this is going to help you determine why some are cheaper than others. You can just feel them yeah. in your hand and, and see a difference in that. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the two different types of steel, if I'm, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, we are, uh, A2 and O1. Yeah. A2 and O1. Yeah. A2 and O1. Ones. I can't remember which is which, but one is easier to sharpen, A2. but it doesn't hold its edge as well. The I other thought that one, was O1. Or, well, whatever, whatever is easier to sharpen, mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. a softer steel. And it doesn't hold the edge as well. Right. When you yeah. get in the harder steel one, it's harder to sharpen, but it keeps its edge longer, so you don't have to sharpen it as much. Correct. Yeah. 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 And then you've also got uh, Lee Valley with your PM V11. PM V11. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know what, if that's a hybrid, I don't know if that's something you need. I think it's or... kind of best of both worlds. It, 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 you can get it really sharp, fairly easy, and it retains mm-hmm. the edge. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's kind of a compromise between the two. Yeah. And, and of course, the compromise between the two is, is awesome. It's actually a powder. Oh yeah, that they electrically charge and form steel out of it. Oh, okay. The P stands pricey, for powder. Um, I think. I think but, you're right because I, I, yeah. I believe that that is right. And yeah. um, mm. but you know, those are the three differences that are gonna that are gonna make up the price uh, gap between a cheap chisel and a premium chisel. There are chisels that are in the middle. You know, Woodcraft makes some some decent mm-hmm. chisels that are in the middle that mm-hmm. that are nicer still but not quite as flat you're going to, have to work them they're not going to take as long mm-hmm. then if you were to get a pmv 11 or the lee nielsen um, bench chisels uh, bevel chisels and um that's pretty much what's going to make up the, the price difference on these chisels and why some are expensive and some aren't um Hui, I'm going to pass it off to you what chisels do you use and what features did you look for when you bought your chisels uh, price. <laughs> the most expensive uh, then, right? No, 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 no. You know, I always thought in my head that like I would get these Stanley 750s. You can get these Stanley 750s or on Amazon. They're, they sell them at Home Depot online on Home Depot, I believe. I don't know if you can necessarily buy them in the mm-hmm. store. But they're the Stanley Sweetheart 750s. I think I bought the entire kit, which is 11, 8? I can't remember. However many it's, it, it wasn't, they weren't that expensive. Um, and I bought them. They, they're not the cheapest chisel, but they're also definitely not the, the far from the most, they're yeah. definitely far from the most expensive. And my thought was, you know what, let me just start out with these. And we'll, you know, as I go along, I'll go ahead and get, you know, I wanted to try to get the PMB 11s, you know, the Veritas chisels like, oh my goodness, these are like the Rolls Royce of chisels, right? Never did. I continue to use the 750s. I'm happy with them. They're comfortable. They've got a nice uh, handle. I like the handle, the way it fits in my the palm of my hand, the, the hornbeam handle. Um, but I think it's some type of Sheffield steel. Don't know what that means, but it holds an edge fine, in my opinion. Um, you know, you can really get into the nitty gritty of this stuff and really go into the nuance about steel and how it holds its edge and how it sharpens. It sharpens fine for me. It holds an edge just fine for me. I, I don't have an issue sharpening when it gets dull. Um, so I try not to, uh, 
I care about the things that I care about, right? And and in, in this case, it's just not something that I cared enough about to go ahead and start investing in the PMV 11s. I I think maybe eventually I'd like to replace them with with those, but right now it just didn't make sense. I did have, and I gave them away. Um, I did have a pair of Narex chisels, only a couple. I think I had like quarter inch, yeah, Narex. half inch, and three eighths or something like that. I only had a few, but man, the handles on those are really big. Yeah. It's a really big handle. Um, whereas I feel like the sweetheart, the seven fifties, um, are a little bit, I don't know. I just, I, a little easier for me to handle. That's, you got, you got tiny little midget hands. I got, I got little midget hands. Um, <laughs> um, I, oh, I, I do. Have I just offended somebody out there. I'm uh, sure. I'm sure. I, I do have the Ashley Isles, and I think I actually yes. talked to you about those, didn't I, Sean? Yeah, I also have the Ashley Isles. Yeah, you, yeah. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, they're, they're pretty. They're pretty nice. Uh, I liked them. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? I have the uh, American pattern bevel. They're the the shorter ones. They're not the the bench chisels. Um, mm. I wish I would have gotten the bench chisels at the time because these are a little too small. But I mean, for the price, you can't. I mean, they're really solid, you know, yeah. anywhere from 35 to 40 bucks, $41 each. Yeah. I mean, and mm-hmm. when you're going all the way up to 80, 90, $100 each on these, like Oof. the, you know, the, uh, Lee Valley ones, this yeah. is a really good compromise and still is good. You know, it yeah. sharpens well, holds the, holds an edge, you know, the, the, the edges, they don't chip off or anything like that, you know, cause there are some still that will, as soon as you use them in like a uh, chopping a, you know side of a board or something they just crumble but yeah these yeah. are really good ashley Isles. i have the round backs i think i talked to you about this didn't i i asked you like if whether or not i should get the round backs or something i can't remember uh, you probably it's did so it's been so long yeah but i have the round backs and i like the round backs i will say one thing one criticism about the ashley Isles. i feel like they're a little bit light in the steel whereas like the 750s have a little bit more weight to them and I kind of like that for like most sort of pounding operations. Um, whereas the Ashley Isles, I just sort of feel like it doesn't have the heft to it where I sort of feel well, like isn't it's going to. not that round back on those uh, uh, special geometry so you can get in the corners for like dovetails and stuff? Yes, yes. But still, even when I'm using dovetails, I still kind of just use the 750s. <laughs> I just kind of use my my. Router. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I probably out of all the hand tools I use, I probably use my chisels more than any other hand tool. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of chisel work, both mm-hmm. at work and in the shop here at home. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing how to ch- use a chisel properly mm-hmm. will greatly enhance just about anything you do because you can just really refine quite a bit with a nice sharp chisel. Um, I had some uh, craftsmen, you know, like tradesmen type chisels that weren't cheap, Mm -hmm. but they're, I still have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had those for years and I bought a pair of Narex Mm -hmm. and the Narex at the time, all they had was metric and they're just a little bit different here and there. So I, I, I ended up getting, a set of Stanley 750s, the Sweethearts. Mm-hmm. I think I got four of them, and I had one already, and I got a set of four of them. I think they're like $50. Yeah, I think you're about right there. I have five five of those going from quarter inch. I was a quarter inch, three eighths, half inch, uh, three quarters, and one inch is what I have. The half inch is a chisel I, I use probably the most more than anything else. I find them very easy to sharpen and they hold uh, uh, an edge for quite a long time. Yeah. They're good, inexpensive chisels. They fit well in my hands. Um, mm-hmm. I cannot recommend those chisels enough yeah, for the like money. Mm-hmm. If I was going to spend money, I would get the Veritas PMV 11s. I've got a couple plane blades that are PMB 11 and they're just awesome. Yeah. Do you ever sharpen them? <laughs> yeah. 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 They do hold an edge for quite a while. They hold, an, they hold an edge for quite a while, but they're really easy to sharpen. Yeah. Um, I've got one of my number four and I've got a number four and a half bevel up 
smoothing plane mm. that's made by Lee Valley. Yeah. That's got a PMV 11 blade in it, and it's a, it's a great, great blade. I'm a big fan of the PMV 11 yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. nice stuff. I, you know, I have a couple of Veritas hand planes, and I wish I had gotten the PMV. I don't know why, but I just went with the A2 just because I had A2, and I just kept it across the board. I wish I had invested in PMV 11 when I bought those planes. Because it's not, really, honestly, it's not that much more. Just get donate your hand planes and start over. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, one thing I did <laughs> wanted to say uh, is the I own two two sets of chisels. The one is Ashley Isles, and the other one is uh, File P F E I L. They're mm-hmm. they're uh, bench chisels. I bought those. They are a little bit more expensive than the Ashley Isles, but I got these at Woodcraft. They are metric. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty close to you know nineteen millimeter three quarter. Um, but they're actually really good chisels as well. Steel is good. They're they're comfortable in the hand. Um, mm. The thing about chisels, at least for me, I'm sure there are people that collect them, but it's like when you have a decent set, that's it, it's hard to justify buying the more expensive set unless you just want to collect them. I mean, because if you have a $40 chisel, that's going to last you a lifetime. Yeah. I just find it hard yeah. to justify spending, buying four or five more of the $80 chisels. Well, there, there, there's people that justify spending all kinds of money on different things. And it's, you know, for a lot of the stuff we do, it's for a lot of people that are listening to us, it's mostly a hobby. So having cool tools is part of the lore. Cool. I mean, I, I get that. Yeah. Just chisels for me. I, I would love yeah. to have some. I mean, who knows? I may end up buying some, but <laughs> I, I haven't yet because it's like I've got Ashley Isles and now these. Yeah. I couldn't justify buying anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's hard to be a collector when you're actually using them and it's like, well, I could use that space for something else. I just don't see the need unless you were like that was part of the hobby of the enjoyment that you get is collecting the tools, but it's like if not, I just don't see the need for it another set. Would I love yeah. to have them? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I believe I've got the last question, and this is another situation where it was, uh, I think, a two-part question. And unfortunately, I don't know the name of this person. If only uh, we were prepared. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, that's okay. I think it's still a good question because I actually looked this up, and I, I think I might be able to get a little bit of insight okay. on what this uh, issue this par- person's having. Uh, my DeWalt 735 planer is occasionally having issues feeding my lumber through. There will be times where it stops feeding and I try to assist it through my by pushing a little or pulling from the outfeed side, although that doesn't feel the safest. It may stop four or five times in the course of one board. Uh, oh, this is by Matthew. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. It will likely leave the board with black lines across the width of the board and sometimes cause divots where the planer ate up more wood than it should have. I assume this is an issue with the rollers on the inside. I try to get rid of extra wood chips in there. I am using a dust collector. And I've also tried mineral spirits on the rollers. Do you guys have any solutions? So let's assume, and we're totally believe you here, that you did all those things, right? You, you put the mineral spirits on, you, you, you put it on the rollers, you cleaned off the bed, you, you oiled the bed so that the wood can slip through uh, easier. Let's assume all those things. I actually looked this up, and I believe the sprocket that drives the chain, that drives the front and the rear roller, is two separate um, sprockets on either end of for the front roller and the back roller. So you got the drive sprocket, and then you've got the driven sprocket, and you got a chain that goes between the two. Yeah, that's all on one side. It's all on one side. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I looked this up and someone had mentioned the exact same issue that you're having, Matthew, uh, on YouTube. Uh, His his YouTube channel is Dirty Rooms. I don't know what that pertains to, but he seems to do some woodworking stuff on YouTube. And one of the things that he mentioned was that just like you, Matthew, the wood would feed through. But then when it got to about halfway through, it would stop feeding or when it started to hit the second roller, it would stop feeding. Uh, and what he had mentioned is that while the chain might have some tension on it, it may look like the rollers are rolling. 
But the key on the sprocket for the second roller or the first roller, which whatever one is having the issue, is the key might be broken on that sprocket, on the driven sprocket. So it might look like it's rolling, which it very well will be rolling because either there's friction between the shaft and the sprocket or there's enough tension between uh, in the chain that causes that driven sprocket to actually rotate. Um, but once you start putting tension or um, uh, resistance to that roller, it will looks like it stops. Check that out. See if whether or not you know take off that uh, that cover and then feed feed your material through and see if whether or not that uh, that sprocket is is turning as you're putting the material through. If it's not, then that might be the issue. And the only other solution to that is just to replace that part. I think it's re relatively uh, easy to to get. And if that doesn't work, I think maybe the only other solution would be maybe possibly to replace your rollers. Does any of that make sense? <laughs> I hope it does. Guy, I know you've had this this planer before, and I don't mm -hmm. think you've ever had feed issues, have you? Nope. No. But you you kept your rollers clean, yeah? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I, I had that thing for, I think, three or four years. I don't think I ever cleaned the rollers. Huh. Okay. I mean, you can also look at the issue, Matthew, of the blades being dull. Yeah. Very what possible. I'm thinking is I'm trying to take too much off at once at each mm -hmm. reach pass. That's why it's stopping. Now with the straight knife blade, what was the, and I believe you used the straight knife blade for a little while on that planer, correct? Mm-hmm. How, no. what was. No, actually I didn't. I oh, never you replaced it. I, I, I bought them both at the same time. Took oh, out the, the bird box and okay. put the bird head right in it. Oh, Okay. Do you the, most know you, how, the most you could take off with the bird head was a sixteenth of an inch. Do you think it might be even less with the straight knife head? No, I think it'd be more than a sixteenth with the with the straight knives in it. But mm. um, I don't know how much. I don't know what the specification is on it. Well, he says that he's occasionally having the issue. So I would, yeah, that's always tough to figure out. Like I have that problem with my planer, and. You know, wax the beds, wax the beds, wax the beds, wax the beds. It yep. works for a while, and now it's, and then it's now it's back right now to skipping and and having to yeah, push it. And I, have pull the, it. I have that same machine as you know, Sean, and that that's all. Every time I use that machine, I put wax on the bed. Yeah, you have yep. to. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the, those beds are just so rough. I guess it's just I've never <laughs> had a planer like this i had a 734 before this and man that thing was a workhorse this yeah. thing is just like and i'm yeah, like come you just on gotta keep those beds waxed but if you do that it's fine oh yeah, yeah. but i hate know. to have to do it every single time i use it only it. Takes, it only takes a minute yeah but i'd rather You're not so lazy no you shouldn't have to <laughs> wax a bed every time you use it I you know. know the second I... half of woodworker <clears throat> is worker right sean come on yeah but also the first part is Spending a lot of money on machinery that shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. With I, you. Get, I get, I get you. I get you. Yeah, I'm lazy. Come on. <laughs> Is there any other things that we could mention about uh, that I, might be the issue? I, I really can't think of anything. The only thing I can think of, like I said, is maybe you're trying to take off too much lumber, or too on, much material at one time. On that 735, can you adjust the uh, pressure of the rollers? Uh, no. Okay. Well, so much for my. Only other idea other than you may be blades. able to if you if you disassemble it. I mean, I've had mine apart a couple times, uh, and it's not too awful difficult to to pull apart and get in the gearbox and everything. Yeah, um, it may be able to be adjusted through there, but I I don't recall. It's I've slept you know a couple times since then. Yeah, well, dull blades, sprocket, wax. Throw it away and get you another one. No, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one, you know. Yeah. Well, I hope it at least gave you a little bit of insight into how to troubleshoot it. You know, if anything else, just check that out and check out. Yeah, and if it, none of that works, I mean, give DeWalt a call. Yeah. Call their their tech support. Yeah. That's something that we never talk about very much is tech support. Mm -hmm. I've called tech support a bunch of times. Yeah, me too. On stuff. It's like I can't find anything on Google. Or any of the, the the right answers on Google, I'll, I'll just call I'll just call them up, man. 
Yeah. We usually have one eight hundred number. Boom, boom, boom. You're done. They go ah, and you go ah. That's what. You know, you know whose tech support is is pretty good, and I've been kind of I've been happy with. Um, and right now, I don't have any of their, their machines, but Grizzly, I've called them on oh, a yeah. number of occasions, and they they've been pretty good. Like actually getting somebody, you know, in tech support like that works on the machines. It's kind of nice. It's yeah, pretty yeah. good. Their their response usually is, "We'll send you a new part." Yeah, yeah they and they have to send you a new part, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, because that's usually all I need. It's like, hey, this is broken. And I'll go, oh, okay, we'll send you a new one. Okay, thank you. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, that is our last question. Let's talk about what we've got going on in our shops, Guy. Since we started off with the questions with you, let's go ahead and let's see what you got going on, man. Let's see. I I don't have much going in my shop because I'm not allowed to be in my shop working. Mm. A couple weeks ago, I had stents put in the arteries around my heart. So I'm not allowed to do any work. And I'd like to say thank you for everybody who wished me well and uh, offered prayers for me on Instagram. Uh, It was a huge outpouring of love and it was very humbling. And I, I really appreciate it. I wish I could go back and thank everybody, but there was like 700 people replied. It was, again, very humbling. Wow. Um, but I have not done anything in the shop. And I don't know. They said I was going to be able to go back in the shop November 1st, which is Monday, because um, we're recording this on the 27th. And I'm not sure that's going to happen after the doctor's appointment I had today. So I don't know. Mm. I, don't well, know, I, think, I think they're going to have to rip my heart out and put a uh, pig's heart in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll definitely be thinking about you. And um, thanks for the update. Appreciate Guy. it. Appreciate it, man. So, what do you got going on, We. I uh, assembled the tabletop, which was for this conference table, which took much longer than it should have taken. It's a big um, top, isn't it? It is. It's heavy, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's freaking heavy. Yeah, I um, never make tabletops that big. Yeah, I know. Uh, so we got it to, uh, I wanted to, the client wanted a logo engraved in on it with uh, the company's logo. And I did not want to do it on my machine because it's a four by four. And it would be a lot of material to have to cantilever off of this off of my machine. So I outsourced it to a local shop, uh, sent them the, uh, the tool paths and whatnot. They tweaked it a little bit and I got it done this, uh, Saturday. And I mean, talk about just, just being really, really nervous about, you know, having, having them work on it, but, uh, it ended up, they, they really did know what they were doing and they did a great job. I got it back in my, uh, in my shop. And I've just got to cut the profile on it and then make some uh, channels, mortises, dados, whatever you want to call it, uh, in, on the underside to allow for some of the electronics um, and then uh, fit the buttons for the base assembly to attach to the tabletop. So still a little bit more work to do on it, but we're getting really close to getting this thing out of here. So I'm just really happy about that. Sean, what do you got, man? Well, I am working on a veneered box, so um, purchased some veneer, got it in, and um, just been chopping it up, getting it ready for, you know, to be cut down to size to uh, glue to the to the pieces. And um, what are you using as a substrate? Baltic birch, half inch Baltic birch plywood. Okay. Did you say what kind of veneer it was? No, I didn't because it's hard to pronounce, and I don't remember what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> some of those, uh, some of those exotics, man, they got tongue twisters for names. Yeah, it's them? like it's like uh, curly Edom Edom Edome E T I Edom Edomo. Sure, Edomo. Okay, curly Edomo, <laughs> and some other one I can't remember. If you go into my Instagram, you'll see a picture of me cutting some cutting some of it out. Yeah. Um, Working the veneer is, is is awesome. You know, it's it's yeah. just some mm-hmm. of the stuff you get access to is beautiful. Yeah. So I've been been working on that uh, slowly at my own pace. Back out in the shop, just trying to get remotivated. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, hope to make more progress on it this weekend. Awesome. 
Well, um, I think that wraps it up for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through our Instagram page at woodshoplife. Uh, We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Where can we find you, Guy? Uh, At Guy's Woodshop across the social media platforms. And Sean, where can we find you? At Simple Cove and simplecove.com where you can share your projects and see thousands of other projects. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, if, if I'm going to plug Sean's site there too. I've, 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 I've spent a lot of time on Sean's site, that Simple Cove site. It's awesome. Thank it you. really is. There's a lot of good stuff on there. There's a lot of very talented people out there. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. So. Yep. Great. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you in a couple weeks. See All ya. Right. See you. Bye. See ya. Bye.